There's only one authority on the Tennessee Titans, and that's the Tennessean. And there's only one show that's an authority, too, and you've found it. This is Talkin' Titans. Hello again, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Talkin' Titans. I'm Tennessean sports columnist Gentry Estes, along with Titans beat writer Ben Arthur. What's up, everyone? And Julio Watch continues into another week. We are sitting here recording this on Friday morning, and I mentioned that from the start because... This could break with Julio getting traded from the Falcons in the next hour, in the next day, in the next week, in the next month. We're going to get into all that where we think this is right now with from the Falcons perspective and also the Titans interest in Julio. We're also going to talk a little bit about uh, the coordinators. We were able to meet this week virtually, of course, uh, with Todd Downing and Shane Bowen. It was their first media appearances since being named coordinators for the Titans. So we're going to talk about uh, what they had to say. Uh, ben, Ben, how are you doing on this uh, bright Friday morning? Yeah, you know, it's it's a beautiful, I'm looking outside, it's a beautiful day, you know, nice Friday. Um, and yeah, thinking about Julio Watch, and <laughs> you mentioned how, you know, the news of, you know, where he's going could kind of break whenever. I mean, what you didn't say, it could literally break as we're recording this. Um, you know, it, it, it's kind of a wide, you know, gauntlet of, you know, um, times where, you know, something could happen. Right. And so we're, you know, constantly monitoring that, but, you know, doing well on this Friday, you know, the Titans at this point have had a couple of OTA sessions. And as you mentioned, uh, the, the coordinators spoke with us this week. So, um, you know, it's starting to feel like football is, you know, kind of getting closer, right. I mean, we're still in the spring, still like kind of deep in the off season program, but you know, it's, it's a nice Friday, you know, on my end. Uh, you mentioned the OTAs. They, they had, uh, I know, at first the uh, attendance among the starters and veterans was was pretty slim, but they had some guys back out there this week. Tannehill was there, according to some other guys, who, who still hasn't been there. And, and again, I hesitate to uh, make too much of that. It's still optional at this point. Yeah, and and again, we don't know like who's who's in the building, right? Just maybe rehabbing, and then who who are the guys who've been so actively, you know, participating like in virtual meetings, and maybe they just can't be in Nashville. But the guys, the the most notable guys who, who aren't there, um, you know, Derrick Henry hasn't shown up, you know, at least in in the sessions open to the media. Um, AJ, no AJ Brown, and then. Uh, you know, some of the big ticket free agent signing signings, you know, haven't been present. Um, you know, uh, Jack Rabbit, uh, Janoris Jenkins, um, Danico Autry, um, Bud Dupree. You know, but Dupree is, you know, one of those guys who's coming back from from injury and you don't know if, you know, he's been in the building. Right. But he hasn't been on the field. So. Um, so, yes, yeah, so some of the guys haven't, you know, showed up still, but it was definitely, you know, going to the OTA session, you know, Thursday, um, you know, a lot more guys. I mean, you know, not all the guys were there, but like, you know, a lot more of the, you know, veterans and starters who weren't there at the first session last week were there, like the Tannehill, like Ryan Tannehill, Kevin Byard, um, you know, Kendall Lamb, one of the, the offensive tackle signing, um, you know, um, Josh Reynolds, you know, who, who's who figures to have kind of a key role that, you know, wide receiver, he was there, um, you know, just felt like a fuller, um, group out there. And, and I think the number was, you know, kind of over 70 players were there. Um, whereas, you know, at the first session, it was like 50 to 60 roughly. So, um, you know, more guys are coming in and, you know, I think with, you know, mandatory minicamp 
kind of right there, you know, I think more guys are starting to trickle into Nashville and kind of get acclimated, but that's kind of where um, the Titans stand from like on-field participation at this point. Yeah, it's good. Been good to, uh, been good to have more of a normal setup after last year. I, I think everyone kind of appreciates how it's, uh, how it's setting up this year on a more traditional calendar heading into the preseason. You know, meanwhile, I, I think obviously that, the talk of Julio Jones has kind of dominated this this summer so far uh, for, for the Titans, and you know I, we passed that deadline this week, Ben, of of uh, June first, knowing that the Falcons weren't going to be trading Julio Jones before June first because it it didn't make sense contractually for them to do that. Now that we've passed that, there seems to be a delay in it actually happening. Now I I. I you can read into that a lot of different things, why we sit here on Friday and still don't really know what, what's going to happen. There hasn't been a lot of discernible movement. Uh, to me, what it says to me is, is that the Falcons do not have an offer that they like, and, and they're perhaps willing to wait this out a while longer and see if they're able to improve on whatever offer they have. Now, I, there was a report last weekend from, from Mike Florio, a pro football talk, saying that the, th- the belief around the league was eventually the Titans were going to to land Julio Jones for a second round pick. I think eventually was a key word to that because uh, I would imagine the Titans probably have some kind of offer out there that that involves a second round pick, but not a first round pick. And, and so if they're the leaders in the clubhouse, uh, the, the Falcons are willing to play a few more rounds that, that, and, and they can't. There's nothing that says they have to trade Julio Jones right now. They could drag this out into training camp and see what team has their number one wide receiver go down from an injury in training exactly. camp. Exactly. So I think I'm not saying there, there, there won't be a quick resolution. There could be, but there could not be as well. Yeah. And, and yeah, those, those are, you know, kind of great points. And, and, it, 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 you know, see, the thing is, it's not like Julio isn't worth like, you know, breaking the, the the bank for just in terms of what you give up to, you know, potentially trade for him. It's just kind of the number of factors, right? It's, it's his contract, um, you know, the guaranteed money he has on it, like, you know, the 15.3 million for uh, the upcoming season. That's what the trading team would be on the hook for um, just kind of the, the enormity of his contract, then his age. Right. And then the, um, the injury, you know, the injury situation he dealt with last year, I think it was seven games he missed with the hamstring issue. So, you know, all that is playing, but all that is kind of reason why it, it feels like, as you kind of alluded to that, the, the type, the, um, the Falcons haven't gotten the kind of deal um, they, they've wanted. And, you know, I think, you know, kind of, you know, with kind of that like post June 1st, uh, kind of target date in terms of, you know, that the Falcons being able to spread the cap hit, you know, if they trade him, you know, after then, I think, you know, a lot of people are looking at it as, okay, so as soon as June 1st hits or like immediately after something is going to happen, you know, right away. And and no, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of like, I think kind of the big thing, like what you said is, you know, the, the, I think the Falcons are willing to kind of sit pat, you know, on this and, and really wait um, till they kind of get, you know, an offer that they'd be, you know, interested in, in pulling the trigger on. I think, like you said, you know, potentially a key guy, you know, number one receiver for one of these interested teams going down, um, you know, could, you know, be something that the Falcons are, are waiting for. Maybe that's the kind of the time they, you know, make a trade. And, and 
and like you said, you know, that could be closer to training camp. Um, you know, there are just so many, you know, factors here. Um, and, and I think, you know, people, you know, we have to kind of wait, right. It's really no telling, you know, what, what's going to happen here. And then, you know, I also think the other thing is, you know, the teams that could, you know, kind of get in the picture needing to create the cap space um, to bring him, you know, under the cap, right. Like, you know, we, we've, the Titans have obviously seen like one of the front runners or one of the teams that have consistently been named in, you know, chats, of, you know, reports, the rumors coming out about, you know, being a landing spot for, for Julio, but you know, the Titans don't have the cap space. Right. And, you know, and as we learned from Ryan Tannehill um, at his, um, you know, media availability on Thursday, the, the Titans haven't even, um, you know, approached him about, um, you know, potentially restructuring his contract and by restructuring, you know, Tannehill's contract, you know, you have a situation where you could create, I don't, don't have the exact number off the top of my head, but fit around 15, 16 million dollars in, in cap space just by doing a simple restructure of, of his deal, the, the uh, four year deal he signed um, last March. So, you know, I think there are kind of a lot of factors here. And, you know, I, I, I could definitely see this going late into June, you know, maybe early July until we actually have a move for um, Julio. Well, and, and here's from a Titans perspective, we can kind of approach this logically, you know, talking about what, what Tannehill said yesterday. If they add Julio Jones to their roster, they're going to have to do something restructuring. Maybe it's, maybe it's Tannehill. Maybe it isn't. He's the most likely candidate, I think, because yeah. he makes, he makes the most money. Uh, and I think he has, as you mentioned, I think he has a deal that, that would, would give the Titans some flexibility to, to create the space they need to add Julio Jones. I don't know if John Robinson, John Robinson is not a big fan of doing that. I know a lot of teams around the league have been this off season with the, with the cap number decreasing. They've kind of, it's kind of forced a lot of teams hands in doing this sort of thing. Um, but I think people need to understand that when you restructure a deal, you're you're not necessarily saving the team any money. You're just you're just shuffling it around. Exactly. Yeah, you're you're kicking the can down the road to an extent. And uh, you know, John Robinson's the kind of guy that when you you talk to him about this kind of thing, he's he mentions we're already on to 22 and 23 and 24. I mean, like he he looks at it from that perspective, and they they plan this out so when you start restructuring deals, it changes things well into the future. And I just don't think the Titans and John Robinson like to do that. But if they bring Julio Jones on, I don't really see an option that gets them out of having to do that short of, you know, sending salary back in return to the Falcons, which if you're the Falcons, you know, why would you, you know, trade for a guy who makes enough, you know, why are you even doing it then if you're not saving any money? And, And then also, uh, you could perhaps restructure something with Julio himself. You know, there's been talk about he wants a new deal. So, I mean, there are options, but I think the most likely would to be restructure Ryan Tannehill. So he gets asked about it yesterday and he says, I haven't been approached yet. And I think a lot of people can take that as not a good sign for necessarily where they are with Julio, but this could be as simple as John Robinson, not, you know, not knocking on the door until he's there. You know, I mean, yeah. I, yeah, that's something you just, you don't bring that up in passing, I suppose. And, you know, I think it's also something the Titans wouldn't necessarily be eager to do until they had to do it. Sure. Yeah. And I think, um, 
Yeah, like like the deferring the cap charge thing with, with with restructures. I mean, that's obviously a big big thing, right? And you know, at least from from the talk out there, it, it seems like you know the the salary cap will rise, right? Just because of the TV money coming in. Um, I think there was a figure reported um, like last week or so um, that the cap being in the two. I want to say two fifteen million range, so, so something like that. I don't, I don't want to. Um, you know, kind of get myself just, you know, in trouble with just kind of the number, but, but I, it is expected to kind of go up and maybe, who knows, maybe that, that is kind of a reason to maybe, you know, restructure Tannehill's contract because, you know, it may, the, the salary cap is going to go up, but, you know, but, but, but again, right. There, there's still sort of, you know, uncertainties with that. So, you know, maybe that just isn't a road, you know, you go down um, and, and then, you know, also looking at, you know, just, how valuable, you know, high draft picks are, right? Um, you know, regardless of what you may say about um, J. Rob's record, like at least with, with top picks or whatnot. I mean, they they are still valuable. Um, whether it's you know, kind of with with the player you're getting or what you can get in a deal with those high draft picks, and so you know, that's something you have to give up with Julio. So. Um, again, there's so much to consider here. And I'm, you know, I, you know, I just kind of want to see this end, right? Like, I just want to see, you know, how this, this ends. Like I've seen the Seahawks come into the picture all of a sudden, and, you know, me being a, you know, guy who used to cover them, man, just thinking about, you know, what Julio with, with that offense with uh, Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf, how scary they'd be, you know, I think that would be, you know, really crazy. So, you know, if the Titans really are in the mix, you know, there, there is, you know, th- there's going to be some competition, you know, there, and and it could turn into, you know, a bidding war, you know, maybe down, down the line, if, if it hasn't, you know, it doesn't seem like it has been to this point, but maybe that's something that happens in the coming weeks or in the next month or so. Um, so I guess we'll kind of see what, what, what comes of that. Yeah. I think the, uh, the Falcons would certainly love to get it there. Um, and maybe they will. I, I, if there had been a quick resolution, then then I think that tells you they had what they wanted. And I think the fact that it hasn't tells you they don't. And maybe I think the market is probably a little softer for, for Julio than, than perhaps anticipated, given how much he would cost. Uh, you know, you got a receiver in your early 30s. He makes a ton of money. This is a year where teams are having to cut costs, not splurge. And I think that makes this a less than ideal time for Atlanta to be shopping a player this good for that much money. All right. Well, we'll let, let's, let's move on for now and talk about uh, something that happened this week. We, we've not been able to speak that the media hasn't with uh, Todd Downing and Shane Bowen, since they've been promoted uh, as coordinators for the Titans, which was kind of the, the staff news of the off season. Um, you know, and in, in the case of the defense, maybe not the most popular um, staff news of the off season, given that, Mike Vrabel promoted uh, the guy who don't call him the coordinator coordinator of last year's team. Uh, But Shane Bowen actually gets the title now. And and Ben, one thing I I thought, you know, look, I I, I like Shane Bowen. He he talked to us every week last week in the, from the standpoint of a coordinator, even though he wasn't the coordinator, you know, it's like you, you, you had to give us somebody to speak for the defense when Arthur Smith spoke for the offense and it was Shane Bowen. And it was always so strange because here's the outside linebackers coach and you're asking him about the safeties and the D line and he's talking about it. You know, Shane Bowen 
seems like a, a good dude. And uh, it was always so strange because he was in a weird position last year, Ben, and I, I think he got blamed for a lot of the defensive problems the Titans had. And I, I'm not sure how much he should have been. Uh, what happened last year with the coordinator title, how weird that was, I think is totally on Mike Vrabel. And I think it was reflected on the field uh, by a unit that looked disjointed and let's just say uncoordinated. <laughs> they, they didn't, they didn't know left hand didn't know what the right hand was doing. So now you come into these OTAs, you're hearing all these guys talk about communication. You're hearing everybody talk about, we need to know everyone else's job. And you're also hearing Shane Bowen actually talk like a coordinator. So it occurs to me, maybe we haven't seen what this guy can do. What do you think? Yeah, I 100% agree with you. I mean, I think from Shane's comments, you know, with us after Thursday's session, I mean, it's, he sounds like a guy who's liberated, man. <laughs> sounds like a guy who, ha who has freedom. He, he's using words like, you know, I have control of, you know, quote, the, the whole unit and being, quote, like the, the final voice. And, you know, I, I think that kind of means, you know, a, a lot to him. Um, and, you know, you, you know, kind of, kind of Rabel and, you know, kind of made it sound like it, you know, wasn't, you know, such a, such a big deal, like the whole coordinate coordinator, the whole DC situation, um, you know, last year and, um, you know, not really naming anyone and, and um, kind of being, you know, just having a kind of a nonchalant attitude toward, you know, formal titles, you know, at least for, for, for at least, you know, with, with the DC situation, th that concern, but, you know, I think now, um, you know, I, I think Shane Bowen feels empowered. Um, and, you know, I think that that does mean, and maybe it doesn't mean, you know, a whole lot for, you know, Vrabel just in kind of the way he's talked about it, but I, I think it does mean a lot to Shane. And, you know, I think he does, you know, d deserve a chance, right? Like now he's a guy who doesn't have to worry about doing two jobs in one, right? Like he can focus on being kind of that guy for that, that the defense needs him to be. He has a full off season to work with a traditional off season, um, you know, with OTAs and, and mini camp, he has kind of a fresh set of, you know, personnel, um, you know, uh, you know, just the clarity on his role. I think there's a lot that there's a lot that, you know, kind of Shane Bowen kind of just expressed um, that, that it just feels like he's kind of excited about that opportunity and, and excited about the chance, you know, for, for um, I don't want to say redemption because I mean, it wasn't all on him last year. Right. I mean, there, there were so many things, you know, there was the free agent busts and, um, you know, like you said, it was kind of Rabel. It, it kind of starts with Rabel. It started with Rabel not really clearly defining rules. You know, it starts from the top down. But I think it, now it's like, okay, Shane is our guy. Let's see what he can do. Um, and I think for Shane, um, that's the best thing for him and, and the best thing for this team. It did feel like a bit of a, a weight had been lifted in such a way for, for Shane Bowen. So, I, and, and, you know, here – the guy had some ideas. He had some plans for what he wanted to put in. He, he basically cast the defense in terms of we're starting from scratch and rebuilding. And I think that's probably the right way to look at it. I mean, you look at so many new players on that side of the ball, uh, it won't be easy to get everyone on the same page, but I think it does open an avenue to 
put his own stamp on things maybe more than it would have if you had a lot of guys coming back. And, and so it represents an opportunity. But when you look at, yeah, I mean, when you look at last season, I, I never bought it, you know, Vrabel saying the titles don't matter uh, or, the, the, you know, he, he underestimated how important it was. Well, if they don't matter, then why didn't you give it to him? You know, what difference does it make? They, you know, it's like, why, yeah. you know, you, you basically, you think that title didn't matter to Shane Bowen? Because I bet it did. It would matter to anyone. It, it matters in my job. It matters in your job. It matters in anybody's job. What it, Maybe it shouldn't, but it does. And the title does mean something. And I, you could sense a difference in Shane Bowen knowing that, that he's actually the guy. It's still, still a strange, it, it, not strange, but it's still a unique setup given that you have Jim Schwartz on that staff. And you have able defensive guys who are kind of, kind of looking over his shoulder. You know, kind of, probably still taking a good look at everything. But if this works out right, a guy like Schwartz could be a real advisor uh, to Shane Bowen as opposed to somebody who is is truly running the defense behind the scenes. I, I don't necessarily think he was brought in to be that. But uh, no, really, what I think it comes down to is. How much leniency is, is Bowen going to have to do what he wants to do? How much freedom is, is Vrabel going to give him to do that? And that's kind of been a knock on Vrabel in the past that he tries to do too much and, and he oversees, you know, he has his hand in everything and, you know, probably wouldn't hurt him to, to let go a little bit. I think we've seen with Mike Vrabel, he's, he's a very good head coach, not, not so great defense coordinator. Great point. And, yeah. you know, to kind of shift to, you know, Todd Downing, I'm interested in, you know, what you, your thoughts on, you know, downing um, Gentry. And, and, and I know, you know, that this is going to be Todd's uh, second OC job. And, and I know in, in the past, you've kind of followed the, the Raiders, the, the team he was the offensive coordinator for in, in 2017. What are kind of your thoughts on, you know, what we heard from, from Todd and, and then just what, what do you think he kind of brings um, to the table just based on, you know, what we saw in Oakland um, in, in 2017. Yeah. You know, I asked, um, I asked Todd kind of what, how he feels like he's different as a coach from, from that 2017 season. For those who don't know, uh, Todd Downing was promoted to be the offensive coordinator for one season uh, with the Oakland Raiders at the time. He had a lot of, uh, he had a lot of hype as, as a coach. I, I think he was viewed as a, Offensive coach on the rise, the Raiders made some staff changes and freed up that coordinator spot basically to keep Todd Downing and promoted him to do it. He steps into a situation with Derek Carr, Amari Cooper, Michael Crabtree, Marshawn Lynch, and the Raiders' offense just wasn't very good. It, it didn't go well. Um, they went 6-10 and 10 that season, and Jack Del Rio got fired, uh, paving the way for John Gruden to currently be the coach of the Raiders. So uh, Todd Downing was only the coordinator for one season, um, and, and honestly, it, it, it went pretty badly. It went badly to the point that you would wonder if he would get that opportunity again. Four years later, he does have that opportunity with the Titans. Now, now Ben, and he said this, that you can't compare situations. This is much different here. I agree with that. It is much different here. Uh, he's, but it is similar in that he's stepping into an offense that did really well uh, in the previous season. The Raiders that he inherited had gone 12 and four and made the playoffs. Yeah. Um, so, you know, he's stepping into the Titans team that went 11 and five. And the big reason they went 11 and five was because of the offense. So I, I viewed, I, you know, I think Todd Downing is, and I've written this, those who play fantasy sports, he's a post hype sleeper. He's the guy who gets a lot of hype when he's a rookie and he's coming up and he doesn't produce and everyone forgets about him a year later. And you can draft that guy in the next to last round. And all of a sudden he's really, really good. 
he could be that. He was supposed to be that, and he wasn't. But now you put him in a better situation, you give him a little more seasoning, and you have him learn a couple of years from Arthur Smith, and I think it will help. Um, but it's a gamble. It is a gamble to me. Given what happened uh, with the Raiders, it, it's a gamble only because the offense means so much for the Titans. They wouldn't have won 11 games without that offense. And, you know, unless the, the defense gets a lot better, the offense is going to have to be good again, and they're going to have to be good without Corey Davis and Johnny Smith. And that, that's the thing, right? Like, not only he, – he's filling – he's he's coming after Arthur Smith, but but he also has a personnel group that that's weaker on paper. I don't care how you splice it. It, it is weaker. And so it's going to be really interesting to see how, you know, he, he kind of makes all that work. And he was, you know, saying how, uh, you know, asked about kind of the talent level, how he feels about the, the wide receivers. He, he said he feels comfortable you know, with, with the talent they have, but, you know, also like what, what else is he supposed to say? Like, it's not, it's not his job to determine like who, you know, the personnel he's working with, he has to deal with, with the hand that, that he has. Um, and, and I'm sure, you know, he, you know, he didn't say this, but, you know, he'd obviously love to have a Julio Jones and make him look, you know, a lot better and, you know, give him more pieces to work with, but you have concerns you know, um, just about kind of the, the talent he's working with at the at the skill positions. And then, you know, he, he talked about, you know, A.J. Brown and, you know, kind of, you know, articulated, you know, a vision of, you know, being able to, to single him up more and, um, you know, expound, expanding his route tree. But then it's also like, you know, how, how exactly are you supposed to single him up? Like, you know, get him one on one with a guy with, with, with a corner. I mean, when when he's when, when AJ is your only legitimate, you know, elite threat, you know, on the outside, there's only, so I don't care how good of a, you know, play caller, you know, creative genius you are. I feel like there's only so many things you can do to, to get a guy open. And, you know, certainly I think AJ has a capability to, you know, be a guy that just, you know, and we've kind of seen flashes of it too, right? Like his first couple of years, he's a guy who will just be able to make plays regardless of the attention drawn to him, but you do have, you know, concerns about that. And, you know, maybe a guy like Josh Reynolds, he's a much better number two, like with the roster is currently constructed, maybe he's a much better number two than everyone on the outside is giving him credit for. Maybe the Rams did hold him back um, and, and he just kind of blossoms, but, you know, but, but that's kind of an, if, you know, Des Fitzpatrick is an, if, you know, going to, you know, as a rookie and, and so it's going to be, it's going to be fascinating, right? Just, you know, just with how poorly his first OC gig went and then inheriting, you know, what Arthur Smith had, but then with kind of less talent. So I think it's an interesting mix we have. And, you know, um, so, so yeah, that's, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be fascinating. Yeah. With, with Shane Bowen in the defense, you, you look at that and you know, that's Mike Vrabel's defense. It doesn't really matter who the coordinator is. It's going to be Mike Vrabel's scheme. Off, offense, you don't know as much. It, there's there's a little more flexibility with the Titans on that. And and I think, you know, how much of what we see is going to be Todd Downing's offense and how much of it's going, it's going to be a continuation of what was working under Arthur Smith. I, I think there'll be quite a bit of that. There should be. There, there's no reason not to be. Um, so much of what they're going to do is going to build around Derrick Henry. But you make a, a, a really good point with the receivers. And I, I think – that right there specifies why the Seahawks might like to have Julio Jones, but the Titans need him. And I think everyone, people who have kind of looked at this have made that point in saying, 
there really isn't a team around the league that's in a position where they need that guy as much as the Titans do as a potential key piece to, to, to really getting over the hump as a championship contender. Um, and I, I think, you know, you, you didn't, you signed Josh Reynolds, but you didn't go after some of these other guys in free. You didn't resign Corey Davis. You didn't go after some of these other guys in free agency that could have been that guy uh, that would have been more expensive than Josh Reynolds, clearly. And, and you also didn't address it in the draft until the fourth round with Des Fitzpatrick. I like Des, Des Fitzpatrick. I covered him at Louisville. I think he's a good player. I think he's a better player, going to be a better player than he's getting credit. Yeah, Julio Jones. And there's not many receivers in the league that are. And I think that's what makes this different from a standard, you know, bringing a veteran guy who's past his prime. Julio is a different dude. And I think everybody kind of knows that. And so I think that's why if the Titans don't do this, I think they can end up end up regretting it a little bit if that offense does regress next season. And I think they, they're in line for that to happen no matter who the coordinator is just because of the, uh, the personnel aspects and who's catching the passes. We haven't even talked about tight end yet. And you, you really could make a case that's a bigger need for the, for the Titans than that number two receiver is because mm-hmm. tell you what, a lot of third down passes, a lot of passes in the red zone went to the tight ends last year. And, and I'm wondering now when those passes go up, who's going to catch them? All right. So anyway, that, that'll that'll do it for this edition of Talking Titans. We hope you'll subscribe to Tennessean.com if you haven't already. Remember to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, wherever it is you get your podcast. Drop us a review and a rating while you're at it. For Ben Arthur, I'm Gentry Estes. Thanks for listening. Peace out.